1: Welcome to the 29th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. We'd like to take this time to thank our sponsor, Galavan, Galavan and Amelia, creators of the Digital War Room platform for e-discovery. And I'm John
2: Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is scary tech, lessons learned from ABA Tech Show. Sharon and I are happy to welcome our friend and colleague, Ben Shore, Ben is a technologist and the CEO of Roland Shore & Tower, a professional consulting firm headquartered in Honolulu with offices in Los Angeles and Arizona. He's also the author of several books and articles on law office technology, including The Lawyer's Guide to Microsoft Outlook and The Lawyer's Guide to Microsoft Word. He's been a Microsoft MVP for more than 15 years and involved with law practice management and law office technology for more than 20 years. Ben, as usual, welcome. Thank you very much. Nice to be back.
1: I think the very scariest thing that I saw at ABA Tech Show was John's Pineapple Mark IV presentation. And the Mark IV pretends to be a network that you've connected with before and gets you to connect through the pineapple to the Internet while John has access to everything you're doing. John, you might like to expand on that just for a couple of sentences, and then I'd like Ben to tell us how to protect ourselves against those devices.
2: Well, essentially it masquerades as as a wireless access point, so every wireless device, if you've configured it to remember your networks, uh, it, when you first fire it up, it basically walks down and goes down through the entire list and, and looking for those networks, such as, you know, home wireless, are you there? Hilton, are you there? Sheridan, are you there? And the pineapple basically just answers, yes, I'm here. And once you've connected to it, you then are sitting right in the middle. It's, uh, it's the traditional man-in-the-middle attack point so you can actually watch all the traffic going in and out.
1: So what should we be doing, Ben, to protect ourselves?
2: Well, I, I think the first thing
3: people should do is is be very circumspect about what network they, they set their device to remember. Um, you know, I see people who remember every Starbucks they go into, <laughs> and I, I really don't think that's a that's a good plan. Um, so I, w- I would keep your, your memorized networks to an absolute minimum, but the other thing I would do is uh, not have your Wi-Fi on all the time on your mobile devices. So that's a... Not only does it save your battery to turn the Wi-Fi off uh, when you're not using it, but it also can, can significantly improve your security. And there, there actually are some pretty cool tools out there. For example, if you're an Android user, there's a tool called Tasker, which based on its GPS, can uh, turn your Wi-Fi on or off depending on where you are. And so on my, on my Android devices, I have it on there so that basically every time I leave my house, it turns the Wi-Fi off. Because it, and when I come back, it turns the Wi-Fi back on. But when I'm out and about, it doesn't have
2: my Wi-Fi on all the time. That's pretty cool. So, what about you, Ben? What scary? What was the scariest thing that, that you saw at, at tech show this year? Uh,
3: I think probably the scariest thing I saw was was how many people were unlocking their devices with just a swipe, with you know, no pins, no no um, patterns, uh, basically no security on them at all. I think that was probably the scariest thing.
1: It, it it's remarkable how many times we remind them and they still do it.
3: It's convenience always seems to trump security.
1: Uh, yes, <laughs> especially well, with
3: lawyers. I, I've said it before, you know, It's uh, security is a lot like insurance. Everybody thinks they've got too much of it until they discover they've got too little.
1: True, true. Well, what one of the most powerful sessions that I set in on was on geolocation with Dave and Chris Reese, showing how we leave an electronic trail of where we've been. Can you explain how that happens and how you can protect against doing that? Uh Sure, uh,
3: you know geolocation is one of those things that has become such a powerful tool uh, for good and evil in in our mobile devices now, and it's, it's really only going to get worse, uh, especially as we, you know, as Google Glass becomes a you know and wearable computing, whether it's a watch or glasses or whatever, um, or a hat, or if, I don't know who knows what the next wearable computing is going to be. Um, you know, as those things come along, GPS and, and geolocation are, are increasingly popular. Uh, you know, you see how popular things like Foursquare are and Yelp and, and other services like that. Um Google has a game called Ingress which is which you where you walk around and and it's all about using your GPS. And it's you know one of the things people don't seem to realize with with GPS is that it's it's not uh you know it's not smoke in the wind. It's you you uh you are leaving a trail behind of where you've been and when and um that that can be uh you know it's not always a bad thing. I mean it's probably not a big deal most of the time if you want to check in at Starbucks and get a free latte. But it kind of depends, I suppose, uh, on how important the, your location is to you as far as uh, the confidentiality and the privacy of it. Uh, and it's one of those things people don't think about, and you should be thinking about it.
1: If, if the Boston Bombers had thought about it, they would have thrown that yeah. doggone cell phone yeah. from the, uh, the car they hijacked, they would have thrown it out the window.
3: And you know, the other thing to keep in mind is that uh, a lot of people don't even realize their GPS is tracking them when their GPS is tracking them. Uh, and that's uh, you know potentially a, a problem. It can be.
2: It probably doesn't surprise you, Ben, that I, I don't have my GPS location services turned on unless I absolutely want it.
3: Right. I'm the same way, actually. I tend to turn mine off uh, when I'm not using it and turn it on when I need it. Um, I use my, you know, the, the number one thing I use my GPS for is for navigation. If I'm, if I'm going somewhere and I'm not sure where I'm going, I'll pull up uh, Waze or uh, Google Maps or whatever, particular depends on what device I'm using, um, and I'll let it navigate me where I'm going. And that does require GPS. But when I get to where I'm going, I tend to turn the GPS off again. And, you know, if I don't need it after that, I won't turn it back on. That's another thing that can save your battery. GPS can be a huge battery draw off your device.
2: Right, right. Well, the other thing that I noticed, too, at the at tech show this year was that, especially during some of the sessions when they were talking about wireless encryption, that it seemed pretty obvious to me that a lot of the attendees were not even using WPA2 encryption on their, on their home wireless networks. Can you tell us a little bit about why that's, that's so important these days?
3: Yeah, that's, it's amazing how hard it's been to get that message out. Um, we we uh, Not long ago, in fact, I, I mentioned this at Tech Show in a session, I think, uh, you know, did a, a, a um, site survey for a client, an audit for a client. And I said, hey, what's this, uh, what's this Linksys wireless network you have in your office? And they said, we don't have any Linksys wireless network in our office. And I said, yeah, you do. And I showed them the Wi-Fi analyzer. And it was, you know, blowing the doors off signal-wise. And uh, so it was right there in their network. And what had happened is one of their associates had gone to Best Buy, purchased his own little Linksys uh, wireless router and plugged it into their network with no security whatsoever turned on because he wanted to work from his couch and the office wasn't offering (laughs) Wi-Fi in the office. (laughs) You know, completely ignorant of the fact that he had just set up an an unsecured wireless network inside their firewall, um, which, you know, that, that, was, that was what we refer to as an RGE, a resume-generating event. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, I,
1: I never had heard that acronym before, but I'm a new Yeah, yeah that's, it. that's
3: one of our favorites. Uh, and, uh, you know, but we see it not only in, in the office. We, more often, we see it at home, where people have, you know, again, gone out and bought a consumer Wi-Fi router, which is fine. You know, a lot of consumer Wi-Fi routers are perfectly good for home use, um, but they don't turn the security on on them. Uh, either because they think it's too inconvenient, or they just don't understand, or they don't—you know—they—they want—they don't want their friends to have to plug in a a, a password. But the, you know, the problem with that is, of course, if you've got no encryption, and especially if you don't—and even if you don't have good encryption, anybody can access your network, and uh, and somebody who knows what they're doing could even access your data, your traffic that's that's traveling on that network. Uh, and so uh, sometimes we see people who set up their Wi-Fi uh, networks with WEP or WEP encryption which really isn't encryption at all, to be honest. It's, it's, uh, any 14-year-old with five minutes on his hands can break that, and so uh, it's, it's really not a, not a particularly good encryption. Uh, but WPA2 is, is very easy to set up. All the modern routers support it, and uh, there's really no excuse for not turning it on.
1: Well, after that sexy R-G-E, uh, let me go to something which isn't, isn't all that sexy. B-Y-O-D, uh, bring, bring your own device. And a lot of presenters in a lot of sessions were talking about that. Would you explain why B-Y-O-D is potentially so dangerous?
3: Sure. Well, there's actually a couple of reasons for it, in my opinion. Um, with bring your own device, you're put in an awkward position where, because there are so many devices out there, and honestly, in the time we've been sitting here talking, there's probably been three more devices released. Uh, there's no possible way you can support them all or test them all, uh, and so you get users, you know, who show up every. I, I have a friend who jokes that he gets these associates who come to him and say, with the with a new device they just bought, and say, "Can we get our practice management system on this?" And he looks at it and goes, "That's a Kindle." <laughs> they, uh, but they don't understand, you know, that that not every device supports everything. Um, The the bigger problem is that with BUIOD, you get the same problem that you have with home routers, which is the security, which is largely at that point up to the home user, because they're the ones who bought it, they're the ones who are setting it up for themselves. They usually don't enable the security on them, either because they don't know how to, they don't think it's important, they think it's too inconvenient, and there's a lot of reasons why they don't. And so you do see these devices, you know, iPads and Android tablets and phones and things, where all they've done for security is touch here and swipe to the right, that's what passes for security on their device. There's no encryption, there's no password, uh, and they've probably, in fact, almost certainly got sensitive work material on there. I mean, if they're checking their email and if their clients ever email them any documents, they're going to have emailed documents, document attachments on their phone. If they lose that phone with no security, anybody can get into that attachment or anybody who can get their hands on the phone can. Uh, the other problem with it is because it's, O.D. It's their own device. It's their personal device. They use it for personal things like taking pictures of their dog and you know planning you know other game, playing games and things. And what ends up happening is even if you have what we call mobile device management in place, so that you can remote wipe a lost device, when somebody loses their own device, knowing that you're going to wipe it if they report it, a lot of times they won't report it to you because they think oh it'll turn up. It's it's in the couch. It's on it's between the you know it's in my car. Well, then it doesn't turn up for four or five days and finally they say, okay, I guess I'd better report it. Well, by then the horse is probably out of the barn. So um, really it's uh, another dangerous issue with BYOD is, is people being reluctant to remote wipe their their device because they're afraid of losing <laughs> their
2: dog's pictures. <laughs> one, one scary statistic that, that uh, I've recently heard is that 46% of the people that lost their phone don't have any pins on them. And this kind of gets to you know what you said your scariest thing at Tech Show has been about Folks just doing this very simple swipe, but can you tell our listeners a little bit why it's so critical for lawyers and and what kind of to, to secure their phones with, with some sort of pin type of a thing and and what are those rules ab- about creating those pins?
3: Sure, yeah, no, you know, pins are critical. I mean, honestly, you wouldn't, you know, you have a lock on the door of your office, I assume. Uh, you you would want to put a lock on the door of your phone or your tablet, and and that pin or that passcode, whatever your particular device supports, or that or that pattern, that's what passes for the lock on your device. Uh, And people think, oh, you know, it'll never happen. I don't lose my device. It's always in my pocket. But honestly, hundreds and thousands of devices are lost every day. Uh, It's it's a little bit um, arrogant to think that you'll never, ever lose a device. Uh, And so uh, it's it's just simple logic to to have that lock and turn that pin on. Uh, As for rules, uh, the longer the pin, the better. You know, hopefully your device doesn't support a one-character pin. But if it does, a one-character pin is obviously not better than no, no pin at all. Hardly. <laughs> um, you know, so longer pins are better. Uh, some devices only support four characters. I, I know that's that's been an issue with some of the eye devices in the past, um, and uh, you know that's unfortunate. But four is better than none. Um, four is better than three. Four is not as good as five. Um, so I would prefer you know six, eight. You know, if your if your device will support it, that's great. Uh, another suggestion that I have for people is to, uh, and this is especially true if you're using the pattern, is to uh, repeat uh, occasionally. I mean, don't use one 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 one. That's not a good pin. But uh, you know, if you're going to use a number, I would use it more than once in your pin. Um, partly because when you're, and also when you're doing the pattern, you want to go back over the same uh, dot again if you can, because uh, people who look at your screen, if you haven't cleaned your screen lately, can see the smudges of your fingerprints on there and might be able to. Get some clues towards what your pin is. So when you're creating a pin, give some thought to uh, to uh, how you can camouflage that pin a little bit better. Uh, and also clean your screen.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it makes it nicer to look at.
1: <laughs> yeah, When I see some screens, I wonder what their house looks like. <laughs> yeah, but
2: it's, a lot of them look just like Petri dishes, man. They're growing all kinds of bacteria on those phones.
3: <laughs> and, you, you know, you can't. I, one thing I noticed, I was at ALA this last week, and, and as I know you guys were as well. And I noticed walking the Expo Hall, the, this year's, you know, the mouse pad of the 2010s is the screen cleaning. Wipe, right. Right. Every, every Expo booth you go to now has the, has the custom printed lint-free cloth for wiping screens. So seriously, go to an Expo, grab a handful of lint screen, lint-free screen cleaning cloths and wipe your screens down every now and then. If for nothing else, it'll make it look <laughs> nicer, but it'll also make it harder for somebody to maybe guess so, your password. So how
2: many did you go home with, Ben?
3: Um, I don't know, <laughs> half a dozen probably.
2: <laughs> well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsor, Gallivan Gallivan and Amelia, creators of the digital war room platform for e discovery. Do you need to strategize, review, and produce documents for litigation? government investigations, or HSR second requests in a single e-discovery tool for every size and every type of matter? Digital War Room eliminates costly pre-processing of collected documents, realizing savings of 80% or more, and giving you greater control over e-discovery. Experience end-to-end e-discovery on your Windows desktop, on your internal network, or in our hosted review center. Download a free trial of Digital War Room Pro, At www.digitalwarroom.com That's com. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just send us an email at advertising at legaltalknetwork.com
1: Welcome back, digital detectives, on the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking to Ben Shore, a legal technologist, and our good friend, about how scary technology can be, and what we learned about protecting ourselves at ABA Tech Show. Ben, you talked about the dangers presented in our in our session by hackers, cyber criminals, hacktivists, and insiders. What are some of the precautions that you recommend?
3: Well, I, I think the ones that are sort of the low hanging fruit that are super easy to do, and honestly cost you nothing, uh, but are still overlooked by so many firms, are number one, have good passphrases. Um, And I say passphrases instead of passwords, because password people think, you know, ABC123, which is an absolutely awful password. Um, I say passphrase to try to get you in the concept of, it should be long. Long is actually more important than complex. Five characters of random text is not a good passphrase. Uh, 17 characters that is a, a line from your favorite poem could be a good passphrase if it's done properly. Uh, you know, you want to use mixed case. You want to use numbers if you can. You want to use symbols if you can. Uh, and you know, keep in mind that most passphrases actually accept spaces as a as a uh, character. So um, so don't be shy about using that. Passphrases are also easier to remember. When you give people a you know a, a very difficult complex password, you know 14 random characters and symbols in a row. Um, you know, what, what you end up with is people just write it on a post-it and they stick it on their monitor or under their keyboard where nobody ever looks. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's the first thing I would say is use passphrases and, and let people use passphrases that are easy for them to remember, um, but that are sufficiently long as to be secure. I, I would say at least 12 characters is a, is a good guideline these days. If it's under 12 characters long, I'd, I'd want it to be longer if you can. Um, the other thing is, and this is another one that I see firms ignore, is keep your systems updated. Uh, there was a story not too long ago, maybe last year, year before of a hospital in New Zealand that was completely shut down by a uh, an attack. And it turns out that the attackers exploited a vulnerability that had been patched more than a year earlier, but they had never um, applied the patches. They'd never installed the patches. And so they ended up in, with all kinds of problems on their hands and a very lengthy and expensive recovery. So do you use patch management? Keep your patches up to date, not only the Microsoft patches, but, you know, uh, Java is getting patched. It seems like every three hours these days, um, you know, which you know, so so you do have lots of opportunities to install the Ask toolbar. Um, <laughs> Got to keep that up to date. You know, keep your Adobe stuff up to date, Flash especially, but Adobe and Acrobat Reader. You're often seeing patches for those. Right. So right. Don't don't just think of the Microsoft patches when you think of patches. And the, and the final thing you need to keep updated is your security software, not just your, your anti-malware, which, of course, you, you should be getting updated. All the good anti-malware packages that I know of get updated pretty much every day, sometimes more than once a day. Uh, but also your, uh, your firewalls. Your firewalls and routers, should they probably have firmware on them. In fact, I pretty much guarantee they have firmware on them. And that firmware does get updated from time to time. And make, you want to make sure that uh, you know, you're, you're up on what the current firmware is for your security
2: devices. Well, Ben, there was a, a friend of mine at a Tech show that attended a session where, and he, he was telling me that one of the speakers actually said that Apple products didn't need any anti-malware software because they, they were immune. Can you talk to that and, <laughs> and put that urban legend to rest for us? There, there
3: are to the best of my knowledge, the only devices that are immune from malware would be something that is locked in a concrete bunker with no connectivity of any kind.
2: And I think some people would probably argue that maybe that isn't so either.
3: <laughs> yeah, maybe not. You know, uh, I, I know that there was an issue uh with the Department of Defense had some some machines get infected off flash drives. You uh, know, uh, in, in the last year or so. So even if you're not connected to the internet, you know, if you're if you're bringing data in of any kind, uh, potentially there's a, there's a risk of infection. No, no. Every every platform these days has a has a risk of infection. Uh, some more than others. The uh, you know the Apple guys. They they enjoyed for a long time what what we might refer to as security through obscurity, in that they had such a small market share that the the bad guys weren't spending weren't wasting a lot of time writing malware for their platform, because there wasn't you know what are you going to do You're going to infect 11 Macs. Big deal. Uh, <laughs> they want to go out and infect, infect millions and millions of PCs. And of course the PC still has a dominant market share. But in recent years we've certainly seen Apple come on strong with. Um, you know, with some pretty big gains to the point where the Macs are not nearly as unusual as they used to be. You're seeing seeing them more and more, and the bad guys know that. And so increasingly we're starting to see, um, you know, Mac-capable malware. Uh, also, some of the malware is platform agnostic now. Uh, again, if you're attacking Flash or Java, it may not matter what platform is underneath it, uh, depending on the on the piece of malware we're talking about. Right, right. Uh, and mobile devices now are getting attacked a lot. Yeah. Um, androids uh the malware count on androids is is skyrocketing and so you really do need to have uh, security and and anti-malware in place for your mobile devices as well
1: i loved it in the the session that we did together at tech show on scary technology how you mentioned test restores of backup i can't believe this is still a problem but please tell us why you can't just set it and forget it (laughs) when you're setting up your backup system
3: yeah absolutely you know we we had a client uh a few months ago or a company come to us and become a client a few months ago who had lost the uh, they, they had lost a server their server crashed and they went to restore they got they replaced the parts that failed and they went to restore from their backups which they had been dutifully making every day and they discovered that their backups hadn't actually worked in over a year uh, you know they, they'd done them every night they'd swapped out their media they, had, they were getting a little log entry that said yay backup done but they'd never tested them and then when they needed them the backups weren't there and that turned into a very expensive and uh, not insignificant data recovery process. And so you know, backing up or testing your backups is just essential. You don't want to find out when you really need them that they didn't work. And so uh, testing is really quite simple. In fact, here's an easy, easy way to test your backups is create a dummy file. And you can create more than one if, you, if that makes you feel more comfortable. But create a dummy file. And you can call it Dummy File Backup Test. doesn't matter. It's a, it's, it can be a Word document, Excel document. It doesn't, doesn't make any difference what it is because it's going to be empty anyway, and put it amongst your documents, the things that the data that you want backed up, and just leave it there. Let it get backed up in your normal course of your backup. And then once in a while, maybe, you know, quarterly, maybe every couple of weeks, you know, maybe half, you know, semi-annually, whatever you're comfortable with, go in and delete that file, and then try to restore it from your backups. If you can't restore that file from your backups, then you have one of two problems. Either one, you don't know how to restore files from your backups, which is an easy problem to solve and, and actually the better problem to have. Or two, your backups aren't working, which is a, a particularly serious problem. But at least you found out when you lost a backup dummy file and not a real file. <laughs>
2: mm. Well, Ben, we, we know that you, know, you, you do some similar things that we do in, the, in consulting for the legal community. But we know that many lawyers, they hate to upgrade possibly for economic reasons or, or because they're just afraid of learning some new software. Why, why does that present a, a security danger?
3: Uh, sure. Well, you know, it's, I'm always reluctant to be on the on the very, very edge because, you know, they, you know what they say about the pioneers. They're the ones with the arrows in their backs. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but at the same time, when you're lagging too far behind, um, the issue you have is that the software tends to go out of support. You know, the manufacturers are not going to support that software and continue to to patch it and develop uh, and develop for it endlessly, uh, Microsoft famously has about a ten-year window on support. In fact, uh, Windows Seven without SP1 just fell out of support at Microsoft. And so, uh, if you're uh, if you're still on that platform, it means you're not getting any more security updates. And as the bad guys continue to figure out newer and different ways to attack, you know, not getting those security updates could be quite serious. You could leave yourself uh, vulnerable to to something. So it's it's really important to try to stay reasonably current you know you don't have to be bleeding edge uh, but you also if, if you're still working on office 2003 it's time to start thinking about moving up to to a more modern version
2: because xp goes out of support next year too
3: yes windows xp with service pack 3 so all flavors of windows xp will go out of support next year yeah windows 7 with service pack 1 won't be out of support until 2020 i believe So you've still got a while on that one.
1: Yeah, I think it's April that it goes out of support next year. But it's funny how when we tell that to Mm -hmm. audiences, they look panic-stricken, even though it's a year in advance.
3: (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, the other issue uh, is, you know, a lot of firms are trying to move into other things, you know, like uh, you're trying to get the new version of your case management system, or maybe you want to migrate to Office 365. And if you're still running, you know, Windows XP, for example, uh, increasingly, a lot of these new, the new practice management systems, a lot of, you know, a lot of the new versions of Office, they don't support Windows XP. They won't even run on it. And so if you're still running on those old systems, you've got a potential security problem, but it's also going to block you from other upgrades you may want to make.
2: Right.
1: Well, Ben, I just want to tell you, I had a great time presenting with you at Tech Show. I know John and I enjoyed visiting with you and uh, and scaring people and being scared ourselves as we went around <laughs> and listened to others. Um it was just wonderful. And for those who might want to mark their calendar, Tech Show next year will be March 27th through 29th, 2014. And I have a feeling the three of us will be together once again. I sure hope so. But I certainly hope so. But I, yeah, we hope so. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and thank you, Ben. It's always a pleasure to talk to somebody else who has empathy for what we do. And, of course, I've learned a great ac- acronym today, RGE, Res- Resume Generating Event. Love it. Thank you for being with us. <laughs>
2: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks again. That does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes.
1: And you can find out more about Sensei's Digital Forensics Technology and Security Services at www.senseient.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives.
0: The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.